The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to discuss how to accurately measure the ROI of your podcast. Joining us is Scott Simonelli, who is the CEO of Veritonic. World-renowned brands, agencies, publishers, and platforms rely on Veritonic's comprehensive research analytics platform to research, test, and measure the ROI of their audio assets. And today, Scott and I are going to discuss measuring podcast ad ROI. All right, here's the first part of my conversation with Scott Simonelli, the CEO of Veritonic. Scott, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Benjamin. Happy to be here today. Excited to have you as my guest. Excited to talk a little bit about something near and dear to my heart, both podcasting and podcast advertising. Let's start off with the quick version of how you got into this. You're in podcasting and in measurement. How'd you get into this game? Sure. So I started Veritonic in 2015. Previously, I was working at Sony Music, writing a lot of music for TV. In 2002, I was part of the founding team of Optimus, which was the first A-B and multivariate testing platform. And while working at Optimus, I was still writing music for TV and got into an argument about a piece of music I'd written, whether it was heartfelt or melancholy, and then the light bulb went off. Why can't we have the same kind of data we're getting from testing a web page for everything that we're doing for audio? And then fast forward 15 years, and I felt like it was a good time to start Veritonic, and we were still early. They were still focused on music and voice in the context of video. And then in about 2018, it was podcast advertising, streaming, AirPods, smart speakers. And then we started to see this world of digital audio emerge. And then everything kind of evolved. And it was an amazing journey. And now we're really seeing the, the hard work pay off. I feel like we're kindred spirits. You're more of a music man than I am. But I was working at eBay, another large company, and decided, you know what, I want to be involved in music and technology. And I started a startup called strumschool.com, which was basically my homage to wanting to be a guitar player, but not actually having the chops to be able to do it. And I went down the, hey, look, if you can't do teach and started teaching young aspiring guitar players how to be bad musicians. And needless to say, that business went the way of the dodo bird. I'm glad to hear that Veritonic is a little bit more successful than my music tech career. That said, now, instead of doing TV jingles, you're focused on ad analysis and audio in general. Talk to me a little bit about the measurement of podcast ads, and you're launching a new tool that measures the ROI. 
How are you able to isolate which ads are performing the best and what are some of the ways that brands should think about whether their ads are the right ones and if they're performant? That's a long question. <laughs> I'll try to give you a short answer. And I'm also a failed music teacher as well. I did teach guitar and uh, elementary school music for a year. So the, the crux of it is really quantifying human response to sound. And that's really where we started Veritonic. And it's like, okay, can we look at what's happening sonically in any form of audio content, whether that's a piece of music or a podcast ad? And can we dissect it in a way where we can understand what's happening, both transcript, but really more importantly, the sound? all the different things that happen and what are the most important parts of that to focus on? And can we pair that up with a human response? At first, you're starting out with a very inefficient process of kind of playing audio for people and collecting their response on a second-by-second basis. But after time, you can start to predict those responses. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of repetition there. And it took us years. It took us four years to get there. But now as we fast forward to looking at podcast advertising and understanding it, We are audio first, right? So in the same way that you would test any other medium, whether it's print or the web or TV, you have to have a good understanding of that content and the context in which it appears. And everything that happens with podcast ads is happening sonically. So what we're looking at is how's somebody going to feel when they hear this? How's it going to affect their response? So we can predict that, but then we can also put the plumbing in place to track that. So that's where we get to performance and attribution and that sort of stuff is like, did they actually click? Did they actually behave a certain way? We're doing the things because audio is so fragmented, you have to have some kind of predictive and some kind of machine learning component. And then if you have the plumbing in place to evaluate that behavior, then you can see what happened and then feed that information back into the system to make the system smarter the next time around. Yeah, it's funny when you think about podcast advertising, at least most of my sponsors ask me questions about the ad copy, the call to action, what's the landing page experience very infrequently, actually never has anybody said, well, are you going to do a good job saying the words? Are you going to speak rhythmically? Are you going to make a sound good? I think it's an underrated quality of being a podcast. That was sort of, you know, the moniker, everybody has a podcast these days. It's kind of like everybody has a blog, but doesn't mean that you're naturally a good writer. The notion of the sound actually makes a difference when somebody is consuming audio seems logical. It also seems like it's something that is I don't know, underappreciated? Do you find the same thing? Are people not really focusing on how podcasts sound and more on the words that they're saying? Yeah, it's still early, right? And we do transcribe everything as well. I mean, the copy does matter, but it's part of the equation, right? And the more information you have about the ad and the content and the context in which it appears, right? You're going to do a pre-roll, you're going to do a mid-roll, you're going to say it next to another ad, it's going to be a different episode. And then the audience, right? Like, if we learn anything from the internet, it's you can really highly target content. And there's a real long tail out there. So it's putting those pieces together. And you're right. In a weird way, that any form of advertising is an art and science. And when it's still new, which it is, right? Podcast advertising is still very new. It's going to be much more art than science. And there's always going to be a balance there. But in the same way, we didn't know a lot about the universe. You know, we thought the earth was flat for a while. And some people still do, I guess. <laughs> but once you start to learn these things, you start to say, okay, well, I understand this better. And podcast advertising is still a little bit in the flat earth mode right now, right? That people just don't know a lot about what's going on. And audio is very ethereal. It's kind of just out there, right? It's just that you don't really can't see it. It's not a surprise that people aren't like digging in in the way you can process digital content like a web page. Podcast advertising, the Kyrie Irving of advertising. (laughs) For anybody who's not a basketball fan, Kyrie Irving is a flat earth conspiracy theorist who actually is an incredibly talented basketball player. Sorry for the obscure reference. Talk to me a little bit about the ad measurement component. Sure, it matters what you sound like. The words matter as well. How are you figuring out if an ad is performing? 
So first you start with the Veritonic audio score for us. I mean, that's really the centerpiece, which is, can we predict that outcome before anybody's done anything? And that's really comparing that ad to millions of other data points, right? So you're looking at that ad as it relates to millions of other ads and saying, well, millions of other ads generated these kinds of responses. What's the likely emotional response, purchase intent, recall, and engagement for this ad? Right now, you haven't actually tracked any behavior yet, but that's the best place to start because there's a lot of flaws in the next step, which is tracking it. And even though we do that too, it's not as tightly a closed loop as the internet yet. So podcast advertising has done well with prefix URLs, right? Like offer code Benjamin, and we're going to go, and that's what's a very primitive way to track the performance of an ad, but hey, if it works. Better than nothing. Better than nothing, exactly. And pixels, which are, again, are better than nothing. But attribution is, is, is a bit of a dark art as well, because you could hear an ad on your podcast. I could see an ad online. I could hear a TV ad all in the same day. So there's, there's a lot of debate about multi-touch attribution and things like that. So, but we do the best we can with the resources that are out there to track that behavior. So first we predict and then give every ad the Veritonic audio score. And we pull in every single podcast ad. So not just the ones for our customers, but all the ads. And we've got five years of data and counting on what's an effective ad. So that at least gives you a, a good baseline, right? And then we'll track that. And then, yeah, we can support a prefix URL. We can support a click you know, path or whatever form of attribution you want. And then you're going to look at that in the context of the ads. The other thing we can do is we can pull in panel data to round that out. So if you don't have a call to action that happens online, let's say you're a brand advertiser or a quick serve restaurant, what we can do is in our platform, you can actually pull up panel data in real time and say, hey, here's an audience. We know that they were exposed to this ad and this part of the audience wasn't. You know, what's the difference in perception? Again, none of these things are perfect, but I think when you put them together, you start to get as holistic of a picture as you can through the Veritonic audio score and creative measurement through brand lift and through classic click and pixel-based attribution. And that's the bar today. And every day we're working to raise that bar because that, in my opinion, is not good enough forever. That's just, as you point out, as good as it gets for now. So we're still in the case of needing to triangulate results I want to talk about each individual piece that you mentioned. Let's start off with the Veritonic audio score. I'm sure I'm saying the name wrong, but basically I can give you an ad and you're going to compare that to other ads and try to understand how they can perform. And you said you're not just looking at your client's ads, but everyone's ads. So you've gone through and scraped out all the MarTech podcast ads that we've been serving into our podcast for five years. How are you gauging whether those ads are good or bad without understanding whether they performed for the end sponsor, the person that we're creating them for? There's just really a mountain of data. So like you get to a point where initially we would play those ads for people and collect their responses. So it would be track their behavior. So we do what we can to kind of baseline that. And then that's going to give us some data based on, again, historical ads, right? And so the training set that happens there and we don't take that lightly. To, to get a quantitative scoring framework in place, like I said, it took over four years to get to a place where we, we were in beta. And now as the system gets more data, it just gets smarter every day. And, and what works a year ago, might like a good ad from a year ago might be a terrible ad today. This is an evolution. And the audio score uses that framework of emotional response, second-by-second second engagement. So we analyze everything in a second-by-second second basis. We do transcribe everything as well. And then there's a recall score and an intent score. So, you know, pre and post exposure on intent. And we look at that as your baseline score. There's no new human response data collected in that moment, but it gives you something. And then you can even go to the, the ad search tool on our site and type in a brand and pull up ads from that brand. So if you type in whatever Pepsi in the ad search on veritonic.com, you'll see podcast ads and terrestrial radio ads and streaming ads for Pepsi with a Veritonic audio score on them and then a benchmark for that industry. 
we do collect streaming and radio ads as well. We don't just do podcasting because we do feel that podcasting is still a relatively small subset. Is it, while it's the fastest growing part, it's a subset of audio advertising. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. So having analyzed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of ads, what are the big takeaways? What are the things that drive that positive emotional response, that lift intent? Is it all just tone of voice? Are there specific calls to action? What are some of the key takeaways you've learned from analyzing all the ads? Well, there's no silver bullet. Uh, everyone likes to, you know, it's like when we were testing submit buttons online, I think at one point people like, well, darn, yeah, like won't all the buttons just look like the button on Amazon or won't, won't everything just be green and say, click here. Don't make them red unless you're Google. <laughs> or it's red bad or whatever. It's like, it was always the whole thing we used to see if um, people would always put, we value your privacy. And it was always the kiss of death. Like, it's just like, wait, my privacy? Why should I care about my privacy? You know, like, these things can be fleeting, but we also give a unique fingerprint to every ad as well. So we know, hey, that ad was run 200 times in the last month. We have a unique identifier for it. So like what we've seen though are some trends like saying your brand early in the ad. That's one that we've seen as a kind of a universal best practice where it's clear because in the audio format, a lot of people just forget. They say the ad, they kind of go on and then the brand doesn't get mentioned at all sometimes, or it gets mentioned at the very end of the ad. So you want to say that at the beginning and then the end as well. Okay, good. We've been doing that. <laughs> go on. We're on the right track. Uh, another one is mentioning competitors can be confusing. There was one like, you know, where the advertiser was mentioning a lot of different competitors, and that can really just confuse the listeners to who the ad is for. So sometimes you're comparing yourself to other brands or other advertisers, that can confuse the matter. Another piece is, is a music bed. Uh, music bed, generally speaking, again, not in all cases, right? We have NPR as a partner and they never use music and they're very successful. But in a general sense, having a music bed can be a positive with good sound design because it just creates a more vivid emotional response and higher recall. And then audio branding. I mean, there's been an uptick in our audio branding client base and people who use our platform to evaluate sonic branding. But having a consistent audio strategy where you use the same either kind of sound bed or kind of sound palette or an audio logo, like saying your brand in a consistent way, sonically, 
across TV, across radio, across other mediums really helps. So those are some general best practices. And we publish lots of content around those things. But yeah, and it evolves. Like we saw in the early days of the internet, you know, an ad banner that would have worked in 2002 probably wouldn't have worked in 2007. So So I'm going to nerd out for a second here with the audio measurement. My understanding of how the technology behind the measurement of podcast advertising is when you download a podcast, the only thing you're submitting to the podcast host or the podcast hosting platform is an IP address. And so the IP address can be associated with each individual ad that's served. I can get a list of the IP addresses and understand who was exposed to my content. Those IP addresses are then brought to some sort of an identity resolution company that says, okay, this IP address is likely this person's household. And then the advertising measurement company, Fairtonic, Podsites, whoever it may be, has a pixel on the website where the end destination is. And they're basically looking for that mobile app ID or some sort of identifier tied to the same person who downloaded the content. Am I thinking about the general workflow for podcast advertising correctly? Yeah, you are. And I think what it is, and this is something that, to be blunt, really, it's primitive and it's crude. You're taking a digital advertising attribution methodology and just cut and pasting it over to audio. I think you're being critical. (laughs) I honestly think it's just directional. It's not bad. It's not inaccurate. It just only accurately measures the people who you have in the identity graph. Yeah. Right. That to me is the problem. We used Podsites for a long time. And the issue, not to say that Podsites isn't a great tool or Veritonic is better or worse than it. But my issue is we would serve, I don't know, 200,000 impressions in a campaign and it would say, well, you only reached 3,000 households. It's like, no, we didn't reach 3,000 households. We, you were able to match 3,000 households. And then of those 3,000 households, here's how many of those people got to the website. You're right. And maybe I'm being too harsh, but I think there are limitations to whether it's us or any, anybody who's doing attribution at this point. The limitations of the IP address... And frankly, what we're seeing, you know, what could be coming more to the U.S. through GDPR and other privacy regulations, that kind of basic infrastructure is really limiting as to what you can do relative to other mediums, right? Especially in what we see online. And so that's going to have to get better. And that's why we kind of looked at this and we said, okay, well, what can we do to augment the existing limitations? So like attribution in and of itself, the IP address or the pixel, those, those kind of tools, It's like, there's only so much you can do with it. So what can you put around that right now? And how can we partner with publishers and audio platforms like Spotify or NPR or whoever to just get a better starting point? And that will improve. It absolutely will improve. It's fine if you only have the IP address and it's fine if you only have a pixel, but I think there's more to come there. I I think Podsites, Chartable, and this kind of first generation of measurement companies I hate to beat a dead horse of using the internet as an analog here, but there was a first generation of web analytics companies also. I'm old enough to remember Urchin or Hitbox, which, you know, Urchin was acquired by Google and that's Google Analytics. So like seeing pod sites go to Spotify, to me, it's like we're in Urchin mode. (laughs) This is early days where larger companies kind of getting their hands around this kind of basic idea and it's validation. Podcast attribution is crucial yeah, and it's essential. And anybody who's doing podcast advertising better be using somebody. And ideally they're using multiple people. But people don't just use Google Analytics. They check it with two or three of them. Use Google Analytics and Omniture or Adobe or whatever, right? Like you, this is not something you trust to one thing. And I think that's where this is going to go eventually. And there'll be better plumbing in place as time goes on. 
and as more dollars are spent. And I think there will be a unification mechanism too between radio, streaming, and podcast advertising, which will give us a better holistic view of attribution because you get a lot of noise between a radio ad and a podcast ad right now. It's hard to distinguish. We can. It's one of our big differentiators, right? As we can tell you whether it's a local radio station in Denver or the podcast. But if you don't have that connection in place with whoever you're using, you don't know because you don't know when somebody listened to the podcast and you don't know when they might've heard something on the radio in the same household. You could have been in the car listening to the radio while your wife listened to the podcast. And, you know, it could start to get really murky. So that will get better. But I think the validation is what we love. Like Spotify acquiring postage is tremendous validation. And the next step, usually that creates a vacuum, right? Because you're taking some really awesome people out of the game and you don't want Spotify grading their own homework. So it'll create more third-party companies. And that's when I think the fun will start. And if I look at web analytics as an example, Omniture went from one of the web analytics companies to an IPO within five years of that. And I don't know if audio advertising is as big as the internet, but there's going to be growth here. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know how much, but it's certainly, we're, we're on our way up. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that there's evaluating the ad content and sort of understanding sonically how it performs. There's measuring the ad performance using the pixel. Is someone getting to the desired website that was exposed to the ad? And there's also the notion of the vanity URL, the coupon code. To me, I just back of the envelope, you know, licking my finger and putting it in the air to see where the wind is blowing, tell people, look, if you're getting a coupon code redemption, the ad is probably performing 10x better than the number of redemptions you're seeing because you're getting this awareness lift. People are going to listen to the ad, then go Google the product and then go buy it. And the multi-touch attribution problem is never ending, not something we're going to solve. Am I totally off the mark in telling people, look, just 10x the number of coupon code redemptions that you're getting or vanity URL clicks to be able to measure the effectiveness of a podcast ad? We encourage people to do both, right? If you're using a vanity URL, there's no reason not to have pixel in place or other tracking in place as well. There's no reason not to be doing, I think, brand lift and attribution together. And and again, that's like kind of marketing speak for, I'm going to do panel-based data along with an attribution study. Like that, again, it's better. And then I think the biggest thing that, I think this is my opinion, and also it's kind of what Veritonic was founded upon, but knowing what happened in the ad, it's not just a pixel. Right now, if you look at the market prior to us entering it, like it could have been anything in that ad. There is no, well, this is what an ad sounded like, or this is what it is. It's just a container that had a pixel in it. Are we analyzing the podcast content that was around it or other things that are similar? So like, there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, to learn more about correlating what's happening sonically with the pixel as well. So again, it's, the recipe for, this is a kind of roundabout way, this, like the last few things we kind of touched on, like doing just one thing is, especially I think in the future, that won't be the case either, but I think putting some of these different things together and even using multiple companies to measure similar things is probably not a bad idea. I personally would encourage it because it gives you more context and a little bit of redundancy because like you could do a prefix URL and you're right, you might be getting 10X the value. Maybe the emotional response to that ad and recall score is amazing. If you're not measuring that, you don't know. And why not put a pixel in place? Why not do a brand of study to see if there's a different perception like in, in the market? So then those are things that can round out just the prefix. If you only do the prefix URL, you're, you're missing part of the picture. And then you're, you are throwing your thumb in the air and saying, well, I, it's probably 10x better. It doesn't have to be probably. You could, you could get more there. You know, at the end of the day, like all marketing, measuring your podcast ROI is both an art and a science. And we always want to be data driven and we all want to have a scientific methodology to figure out what is driving response with our marketing efforts. But the reality is that people are going to hear your ads and they're not going to convert in the fashion format or way that you want them to. 
And so you need multiple different traps to understand what is actually catching the mouse looking for the cheese. And that's why understanding the performance in your audio is important. Pixeling your podcasts can be an effective way. Looking at the data from your vanity URLs, your coupon codes, these are all signals to try to tell you whether an ad is performing relative to your other marketing efforts. None of it is perfect. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Scott Simonelli, the CEO of Veritonic. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Scott and I are going to continue the conversation talking about de-risking your audio advertising. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Scott, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is Scott Simonelli. That's S-C-O-T-T-S-I-M-O-N-E-L-L-I. Or you can visit his company's website, which is veritonic.com, B-E-R-I-T-O-N-I-C.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.